Ariana Roberts, and I'm joined by my co-host, Gabrielle Roberts, and you're listening to Arcana Imperii. Today's guest is Rufus Gifford, who was Obama's ambassador in Denmark and is now currently running for Nikki Sanders' seat in U.S. Congress. Yes, so when we look at the candidates, there's a large amount of Democrats running. I think it's about a dozen Democrats. It really shows a higher enthusiasm than ever before from the Democrats. There's also a very large diversity of backgrounds. Some of them aren't politicians before, but business um, people or from other backgrounds as well that are running for the seats. Yeah, as well as a record number of women running, I believe. So why don't we get into the interview with Mr. Gifford? So thank you for coming on to our show and spending the time to talk with us. My pleasure. Um, there are a record number of candidates running for the 3rd District Street, running for Nikki Songus's place. Why should you be the one who takes her place? Sure. Well, actually, so I, I never thought I would run. So, you know, when I talked to you this morning, it's, it's a surprise to me if you had asked me a couple years ago whether or not I'd be uh, running for Congress uh, in my home state. Uh, I would have thought that was a big surprise. But to be honest with you, it's just too important a time in American history not to have everybody step up just a bit more. Uh, I've spent my entire life trying to elect other people good Democrats around the country, and most recently I, I worked for President Obama for 10 years. And that goes to, I think, what the essence of your question is. So, you know, most of the candidates in the race are going to have actually quite similar policies. Uh, the Democratic primary, they're all good people. So there's, but my experience is very unique. I've worked at the top levels of politics. I've helped elect Barack Obama twice. I've worked on presidential campaigns, and I've worked at the top levels of government. I've served overseas as, a, as an ambassador. I've, uh, I've worked with both the, co the Congress as well as the executive branch. And it's that perspective that I bring to this race, and it's certainly that perspective that I want to bring with, with me to Washington. So you mentioned you were ambassador to Denmark. So that means you yes. worked closely with our European allies. So how do you feel about Trump's performance at the G7? Oh, I think it's shameful, to be honest with you. I really, really think it's a sad day to be an American. What you're seeing is him turning, our, insulting, frankly, and turning his back on our, truly our best ally, who we've stood shoulder to shoulder with in conflict after conflict after conflict. Look, that's not to say that we don't have disagreements from time to time. Uh, best friends have disagreements from time to time. But you do not air those grievances uh, like some sort of schoolyard bully like he did yesterday. I, it's just shameful. And it's, you know, unfortunately, I do think it's quite a sad, it, it is quite a sad day. Yesterday was quite a sad day, and I wake up this morning reading the headline. And I just, uh, and knowing I've actually heard from a number of my international friends who are just very, very depressed by the direction the United States is going. We just simply have to turn it around, and that's, that's absolutely one of the reasons why I'm running for Congress right now. Well, do you feel like our relationship was damaged? And if it was, how do you repair that? Yeah, so, I mean, this is the thing. It's, it, it, is it damaged right now? Absolutely. It is. And, and any and any Trump, so I would happily debate any Trump supporter who says it's not. The United States' standing in the world today is far worse than it was before we elected Donald Trump president of the United States. Um, that being said, it can be repaired. I mean, that's where the Americans actually have to step up. I think, you know, 
we what we need to be sure is that we'll starting with our elections in November of this year that we send a strong message not just to the Trump administration but to the world saying in essence that we do not stand for this that we do not stand for Trump style politics and uh, we're going to do something about it. Well, among Republicans, Trump has an 87% approval, according to Gallup polling. How do you work with Republicans now that they're becoming the party of Trump? Do you just not even try? No, I think you actually have to. I absolutely think you have to. And look, that's the, the thing is, so I, I believe we're sort of a one-third, one-third, one-third country, right? We are one-third Democrats, one-third Republicans, and one-third independents. Uh, we may not ever get... The, the far extreme Republicans to work with me on initiatives. But I certainly believe that I can work together with two thirds of the country, maybe even three quarters of the country. And we're not going to agree on everything, but I think we can get three quarters of the country to agree with, to agree with us on issues. And, and, and I, and ultimately it's just about trying. I mean, I ultimately, I often say that, you know, we need more diplomacy and politics. I'm a former diplomat. Um, and I've spent most of my, I've spent most of the last four years of my life sitting around the table with nine Danish political parties, all with very different viewpoints, um, and trying to get them to agree on something that helped move society forward. And that's what I think we need more of. And I'm gonna, I, that's, that's the kind of person that I am, the kind of congressman that I want to be. So do you try to pull in Trump voters or just go for the traditional base? Well, yeah, so a little bit, of, a little bit of both. I mean, I think that it's that you do have to speak to the base because they're the ones who who continue to vote in Democratic primaries. Look, I'm attempting to win a Democratic primary right now, so we need to know who t- typically votes in Democratic primaries and and to talk to those voters. That being said, I absolutely look forward to talking to everybody, and I think that if we deliver a message that's big and hopeful and optimistic, that we can get people back to our side. We can win hearts and minds again. And that's the kind of congressman, again, that's the kind of campaign that I want to run. I want to, I want to run that, uh, I want to run that positive campaign. So if you could only accomplish one thing if you won the election, what would you do? The most important thing, and I say this a lot when I'm on the campaign trail, is that we absolutely have to build trust back between politicians and, and, and people. So we've got to make people believe in the system again. And that's, I, I just think that that's critically important. And so that is the overarching thing that I want to accomplish more than anything. Now, that's a long-term, that's a long-term project. You can't, mm-hmm. you know, trust has got to be earned, and it's something that actually takes, probably takes months, if not years, in order to do, considering I think people feel so let down uh, by their government. So it, that, that's so much of my focus. But, and I should also say this, what I also want to, what I want to be sure is that every single person in every single corner of the third congressional district of Massachusetts feel like they have a strong advocate and champion in me. So that's what I want to accomplish as well, that they know that I have gone to Washington and I am representing their best interests, that I'm not doing it for any other reason but to, but, but to promote it, to fight for their best interests. So that's the other thing. From a policy standpoint, I think you know it's, it's going to depend a little bit on, on where we are as far as Trump being the president, did the, did the Democrats take back the House? Um, and assuming Democrats do take back the House, I'd like to see some, you know, big bread and butter issues try to get pushed get pushed through. I w- I'd like to see us get a big infrastructure spending bill passed. I'd like to see an immigration bill passed. Um, I'd like to see us do something on student loans. I'd like to see us do something on green jobs, climate change slash green jobs. 
Uh, and we'll see how much of that is possible with a Republican, with likely a Republican Senate and Trump as president. Uh, but I think we should get that uh, conversation started. And, and then, of course, with hopes of we have a, a Democratic president in, in 2020, uh, and then we can really push forward that agenda. So you mentioned immigration among one of your top priorities. So the Republicans are using immigration as a wedge issue against the Democrats in the congressional races. So they're trying to equate immigrants with crime and job loss. An NBC News survey found that 66% of Americans support DACA. However, 72% of Americans would either like to freeze legal immigration or decrease them according to a Gallup polling. Given that polling on immigration has been mixed, should Democrats avoid or embrace immigration as an issue? We should absolutely look. This is about what this is about who we are as a country. This is about who we have been historically from the very from before our country was formed. Um, we are a country built on the shoulders of immigrants. That is who we are. And for us to forget that, for us to somehow fear immigrants. Now, this has happened in various chapters in American history. We've had uh, various forms of discrimination against against immigrants, for whether it was from Europe or Asia or the Middle East. It's always happened. And but that being said, we have got to rise above that. We have got to realize that the people who are coming to the United States today are coming for the exact same reasons that our ancestors came, whenever that was. Could be 10 years ago, could be hundreds of years ago. They're, co- they're coming for a better life for them or their children. So I can tell you this. Um, I'm going to embrace that story. I'm going to embrace America's immigration story with everything that I have. Because for us to lose sight of that, in my mind, makes us lose sight of who we have been as a country. Um, you mentioned before that you that we should focus more on some college affordability. What specifically would you try to implement to make college more affordable? Yeah, so I think this has to do more with it. So some of this, um, some of this, Private institutions are actually doing some good things right right now uh, to to reduce uh, costs associated with the university. But look, I was there. I went to college. What I think it's I, I graduated twenty seven years ago now from college, and at the time tuition was I think it was twenty five thousand dollars a year, which is a lot of money. But since then, it's more than doubled, which just doesn't make any sense. I think to so many people, and so we have got to figure out how to deal with this. And this is a problem. And the problem is that people are still going to college, but they're incurring an enormous amount of student loan debt. So you could graduate from college and have a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt, mm-hmm. and that's problematic. You know, we're asking people to, we're asking young people to start families, buy a house, start a business, um, and it's harder to do that when you're when you're sitting on six figures worth of debt. So what I think we need to do is actually have the government step in. I think there are short-term fixes to this. I think you have to at least at the very least consider refinancing your student loan. You have the government be uh, in favor of refinancing your student loans. Right now you can refinance your mortgage, but you can't refinance your student loans. Like let's do that uh, at the very least. Beyond that, let's uh, let's talk about some sort of big idea. Let's talk about you know the, the, there was something called the GI Bill, which essentially educated an entire generation of at the time young men, essentially allowing them to get free college if they served the military. That idea was great, and we need big ideas like that again. That if you go, to, if you serve your community, and I don't mean just military service. Maybe you're teaching in an inner, inner city. Maybe you're volunteering somehow. That you that that you earn call a free college tuition, and I love those programs, and I hope you can do more of them.
Would another solution be making a higher percentage of spots at state colleges reserved for in-state students? Well, I think you could look at that on a case-by-case basis. You know, different states may have different needs there. Uh, but it's, if, uh, if, if that could certainly be a solution. So the cost of housing is a big issue in Massachusetts. Other high-growth yes. areas, like Denver, Seattle, Santa Clara, are also wrestling with this issue. Would you support higher density zoning in Boston or Cambridge in order to support more jobs? In other words, growing more vertical. How do you balance the need for growth and low-cost housing versus concerns of current residents worrying about the changing character of the city? Yeah, it's, it, you know, it, it is. It's one of this, this housing issue. is a very, very interesting issue because it, it does speak exactly what you're saying because it comes out, it, 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 oftentimes housing booms, the cost of housing booms come from something good, meaning it's coming from uh, the economy probably thriving in some in one in one way or the other, and that's what we're seeing in places like Boston and Cambridge, of course, and that's that's bled into say the third congressional district, where the cost of housing, which has historically been quite affordable in some parts, really going up and going up uh, at, at in somehow in, in some ways pretty fairly alarming rate. Now, what does this mean? Now, it just means that we have to ensure that there is access to affordable housing for the people that need it. And the challenge we have here, and this is where the federal government really can't step in, we have a housing, we have a housing and urban and urban development secretary, Ben Carson, who actually doesn't seem to understand it as far as I can tell, that these communities really do need help. What we've done is what we've done since he has taken over is actually cut affordable housing program, made it all the more challenging for people who actually need housing to to access it. Uh, so in essence, the federal government needs to, needs to be doing more. This is when federal leadership matters, working together with the states and the local communities. You know, there's some amazing organizations that are doing this work already on the ground in cities like Lawrence and Lowell. The federal government can provide some financial assistance and ensure that we are not creating an environment on the ground where people who need affordable housing cannot, cannot, uh, cannot find it. Is the answer more public transportation? If so, what would that look like? Well, I think public transportation is absolutely critical. Look, I, I, um, I've spent the last four years living in Europe, as, as, we, as we've discussed, and uh, their public transportation, just like yours, ahead of ours, and they've invested in it, and people use it. People trust it. You know, it's one of those very simple things. Government should be there to help you to make your lives a little bit easier. It should be there to help you get to and from work and profession efficiently as possible. And right now, it's just not good enough. And so I would love to see it. Would I love to see more rail lines? Yes. Would I love to see more high-speed rail in the country? Yes. Would I like to see, would I like to see cleaner, more modern uh, transportation, not just in Massachusetts, but nationwide? I absolutely would, and I hope we'd invest in it. In addition to fixing our roads and bridges, which is also critically important. Uh, technology and innovation is very important in Massachusetts. How would you promote innovation? Yeah, this is—I mean, this is something that we are something I'm so—I've always been so proud to be part of this at uh, Fund of Massachusetts, and in essence, because I think we have always prioritized this. Uh, we've all, always prioritized innovation, entrepreneurship. We have some of the best educational institutions in the country or in the world. We have, uh, and so we—we we just this is something where. You know, for entrepreneurs, for young people looking to start a business or a, a, a young, innovative business, we need to encourage them to build their start their businesses here, and that can be done with tax incentives. We need to be, you know, 
so many so many young people if they want to start to start their businesses you know they may think about california first but i think we should you know have them be thinking about massachusetts first and let and let's have it be the third district of massachusetts as far as i'm concerned so who were your heroes growing up <laughs> oh boy um certainly my mom and dad without a doubt uh they just they, they taught me about the values associated with being a good human being they taught me about service they taught taught me about diversity and taught me about kindness and all those very basic things. And my political heroes, FDR is a huge political hero of mine. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the FDR presidency, and actually I think it's a spirit that we need to try, that we need to, try to grab hold of in, in, today's, uh, in today's society. And then, you know, that I'm a huge Kennedy fan, without a doubt. Uh, and I'm also, look, I'm, I'm also, uh, more recently, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm an Obama guy. I'm, I, I worked for President Obama for 10 years, and I, I do believe that so much of what he stood for, so much of who he was, was the best of the United States of America. And so there's, uh, I think there's real heroism in that as well. So were any of your heroes scientists or engineers? Heroes. You know, it's hard to say. I mean, I would certainly I would say I was inspired by some of the early uh, sort of the, the Steve Jobses of the world, without a doubt. Heroes is probably too strong a word. Was too too strong a word, but I I certainly inspired by by young innovators, people who, you know, the, the, one of the things I love about the spirit of the United States is that people tell us no, and then we try twice as hard to actually get it done. I love that, and there's something incredibly special about sort of young. Um, Young entrepreneurs, young young science entrepreneurs, and uh, so I, I think there there is there. I was certainly inspired. The heroes, I think it's it's it, my heroes were largely I think um, political more than anything mm-hmm. growing up. Uh, that's that's what I would say. Um, in the t- 2018 midterm elections, are you worried about foreign tampering as we saw in the 2016 election? I am, but I think you know I, the, the truth is is that there's only so much you can do about that as a candidate. You have to run your race and ensure that you get as many of your voters on the to the polls and trust that our federal government, meaning the FBI and our intelligence services, are doing everything they can to prevent tampering. So yes, I think you have to worry about it in the aftermath of the 2016 election, but it's uh, you have to raise awareness of it. But I don't want. I also I want my campaign. The last thing I want to do is raise doubts about uh, the integrity of our election system because I think that actually just keeps people home. So I'm, what I'm going to do is keep talking about the issues, keep inspiring, keep in, keep inspiring people to show up, and that's what I'm going to do. Register voters, talk about my campaign, and hopefully get as many people at the polls to vote as I possibly can. In John Meacham's book, which I've been reading, The Soul of America, wrote, "To know what has come before is to be armed against despair. If the men and women of the past, with all their flaws and limitations, and ambitions and appetites, could press on through ignorance and superstition." racism and sexism, selfishness and greed, to create a freer, stronger nation, then perhaps we too can right the wrongs and take another step toward that most enchanting and elusive of destinations, a more perfect union. What past events do you see that gives us hope of navigating our current difficulties? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question. And I, I haven't read the book, but I've read a lot of, a lot about the book. And I know these channels, have, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know these channels have DR quite a bit. Somebody I just spoke up briefly. briefly. And, this is, and that's probably the best example. But 
but it's more than that. You know, we've come we've come out of times of great division in our country historically, and whether that is the Great Depression or whether it is everything from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement, um, we've had great division. We fought wars in the past over those divisions, and we have to remember that we could come out of it just as we will come out of this one. But it is critically important, just like we did after those great political crises, that we have leadership that heals. Meaning, you know, after the Great Depression, we had we had Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who truly tried to unify the country and make people believe in the great power, of the great value of government once again. After some of the horror of the civil rights movement, we actually put forward a big federal legislation like the Fifth Civil Rights Act to, again, make people believe that the federal government um, had a role in making people's lives safer and more prosperous. And this is, these are unifying moments in American history. And so I have to remember, we all have to remember that we can get there. We can get there once again. So thank you for coming on to the show and have a good day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. It's been a pleasure. Have a great Sunday. Thank you. Thanks. Goodbye. Bye.